The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I'm joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. We had some technical issues last week. Uh, my my uh, contributions to the podcast did not make the cut. Um, hopefully, <laughs> we, we will not... We didn't want to. We, we we didn't want to have your voice in there, Mark. That was my decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An executive decision was made not to include me. Um, no, in all seriousness, um, you know, it's still. It was great having uh, Evan run the show last week. Uh, we've got lots to get to, though. Coming off of a, uh, a sobering season opener for the Memphis football program, they lose to. Mississippi State 49-23 in a lightning delayed game in which the Tigers fell behind 35-3 to and um, for a time there looked rather uh, helpless. Um, but uh, alas, or, or the good news is there is uh, there are at least, uh, what, 11 more games left um, for this team to uh, figure things out, starting with a huge game. Uh, at Navy this weekend. So we will recap the Mississippi State game, give you our thoughts on that. Um, then Evan uh, has spoken to a Navy beat writer. Who's that you've spoken to, Evan? Bill Wagner of the Capitol Gazette. Uh, my guy, Bill. I've known him for a long time. He's been covering Navy uh, for decades uh, over at the Capitol in Annapolis, uh, part of the Baltimore Sun Group. So we'll talk to him later on in the show, and then uh, we'll we'll give our thoughts on the Navy game and kind of big picture what's at stake for Memphis uh, now that they are 0-1 and heading into conference play very early. So, But let's start, Evan, with that Mississippi State loss to begin with. It was our first uh, glimpse at these Tigers with two new coordinators, several new faces on both sides of the ball. It did not go well, uh, let's say that. There were a few bright spots here and there, but all in all, it was a pretty, uh, you know, pretty subpar showing by the Tigers, um, who were not favored to win. Um, but you know, there was enough that went wrong, the way I phrased it, enough went wrong that it made you worried a little bit. What were your thoughts, I guess, what was the things that stood out most as, uh-oh, to you with this with this Tiger football team in week one? Well, where do we start? I think um, maybe the first concern was the receiver core, the receiving core. Obviously, we're so used to Calvin Austin and Sean Dykes being, you know, reliable over the last few years. Um, I thought it was a very disheartening showing by the receivers. Six drops, as Ryan Silverville said this week. Um, couldn't get a lot of separation. The one deep play to Joe Skates, the transfer from Iowa State, fell just short as he broke free. Um so overall, it wasn't a, a a performance that gave confidence that the receiving core or this receiver by committee approach will work just yet. Now, you give credit to Mississippi State's defense being bigger, stronger, faster, but you would hope to have seen a little bit more. But again, this is kind of what happened last year. Calvin Austin was the really was really the only offense for Memphis last year against Mississippi State. So 
not a good first showing. Um, I thought the defense clearly looked like they were a step behind. I mean, missed tackles, um, poor, bad assignments. I just thought it was a, a really rough showing for, you know, the first game under D.C. Matt Barnes, just a unit that got some pressure at times, but overall gave Will Rogers a clean pocket, allowed him to pick them apart, and then they got diced up on some long passes late. So it was just those two things stand out to me among many with the receiving core, the defense overall. Uh, Mark, what did you think? Because you were really strong in your columns, I felt, this week. Yeah, here's the reality. Memphis got a first down on their first play of the game. Didn't get one another one till midway through the third quarter. Had 29 yards at halftime. Um, Mississippi State scored on, if you take out the last their last drive right before halftime where they kneeled it out, they scored on five of their first six. To, uh, they scored touchdowns on five of their first six drives of the game. Uh, Memphis went three and out on, I believe, uh, all but one, you know, except for that one drive to start the game where they got a first down on the first play, went three and out until midway through the third quarter. Um, so it was just all, all yeah, actually, though, one of the few bright spots was special teams after all special the issues they had last teams, year. Yeah. I, I thought the special teams looked pretty, pretty solid all in all. Um, Chris Howard hit a field goal, but even that drive, you know, uh, it was a four play, four yard field goal drive after Memphis got an interception of Will Rogers. So, I mean, it was, I mean, again, they were down 35 to three and then, you know, they got some things going offensively. Jay Ducker had a long touchdown run. Um, but by that point, you know, at, by that point, Mississippi State had taken their foot off the gas pedal. I mean, like Memphis salvaged some things a little bit late, but I don't know how much stock you really put into that um, because, you know, because again, it was 35 to three at that point. Um, so it was discouraging, I think. Now, that being said, you know, I think there's an argument to be made, you know, that Mississippi State team will be, you know, one of the two or three best teams you play this year, maybe the best. Uh, it's a veteran team. You're breaking in two new coordinators. Um, the thing I found pretty interesting was after the game, when Ryan Silverfield kind of called into question the game plan they used going into the game. Um, and then made it a point to kind of give a vote of confidence to his coordinators. You know, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know if I make a huge deal out of that in the sense that, you know, I don't, you know, like Ryan's wants to make a change or something like that, but it was just interesting to hear like what it struck me as is they felt differently about this team going into the game. Like they did not expect to get to get beat the way they did. Um, and I guess that's kind of obvious, but I think it kind of put the program on its heels a little bit as in wait, we're, we're, was what we were doing in the lead up to this good, you know, cause we felt pretty good coming into this. We didn't feel like we had a team that was going to lose 35 to three or was going to fall behind 35 to three. So, um, you know, some sobering things. I thought the second, you know, if we're going through it in terms of initial impressions, going position by position. Right. Quarterback, right. I thought I thought Seth Hennigan, there was at no point during the game was I going, man, this offense stinks because Seth Hennigan stinks. Like he he was he wasn't great, but he also wasn't the problem, it felt like. Um, I thought the O-line 
you know, wasn't horrible, all, you know, frankly. Like, you know, it wasn't like Seth was running for his life. Um, the running game got going in the second half, but, you know, a little too little too late. But, it, you know, it wasn't horrible. Um, I think it, it appears to me, given how he performed, you probably want to give Jay Ducker some more touches next week. I'm not saying he should supplant Brandon Thomas as the starter, but he showed some things. Um, I think, as you put it, Evan, I think it's worrisome that it doesn't feel like they have an elite playmaker, though. At least not right now. Like, none of those wide receivers, even though they dropped passes, they weren't, like, creating a ton of separation. They weren't, like, it doesn't, I don't know who that big play guy is on this team, who you put the ball in his hands and he's going to go make a play. I, I don't know who that is yet. Um, from what I've seen initially defensively, um, you know, you could, it was same issues that Memphis has had for a while on defense. Couldn't create enough pressure with the line, just the line. And then when you blitzed your secondary, wasn't good enough to defend Mississippi state's receivers. I mean, I thought the secondary was probably the most troubling thing. And then you add on to that, that you have two key injuries, McKaylin Pounders, the redshirt freshman left tackle, leaves the game, has to be carted off the field. I know Ryan Silverfield called him day-to-day, but it it feels like that was more than a day-to-day injury. I'm not going to lie. Let me let me add and, to that, Mark. Mark, let me add to that because we were at we were at, I was at practice today. You know, we can observe the first few periods. Um, yeah, I know you get to the other guys. I did not see McKylan Pounders there, and I think that's a little bit concerning. If it's day-to-day, you would expect to see him out there, you know, wearing a red jersey, doing what he needs to do. I did not see him out there. Now, the other players you'll mention who got hurt, I did see them. So who else got hurt? Tyler Murray was hurt and didn't play, you know, a guy who they were really excited about, the Charlotte grad transfer. They've mentioned as a you know, guy who has NFL potential. He barely played because of an injury that he suffered. It appears... I was told maybe like, you know, a possible concussion. So not, you know, I don't want to make light of a concussion. At the same time, it's not as bad as like a knee injury or something like that, potentially. And as you put it, Tyler was out there at practice today. Yes, he was. We we did not participate, but he was out there with a red jersey, did not have his helmet on um, or with him, but he was at practice. So that's, that's a good sign for him. Um, gotcha. And then no since Evans got hurt. Yeah. I did not – yeah, I, I don't think I saw Sincere. I was trying to find him out there. I, I don't know if I saw him. We'll we'll take a look again. We're recording this Tuesday. We'll see if he's there Wednesday. But um, did not see – I don't think I saw him. So, again, two injuries you say are day-to-day. And I saw we, when Evans got hurt, he could not put pressure on that right foot. Like, he looked like he grabbed his knee, and they, when they carried him off, he couldn't put pressure on that right leg. So, um, Ryan said after the game he might miss – you know, they might be without some of those guys for – a period of time and then to say day to day, it sounds like obviously not trying to tip their hand about how serious maybe those two injuries could be. Yeah. So all in all, so you, you break it down, you have an offense that can't move the ball, had dropped passes, had, you know, wasn't able to execute. You had a defense that missed a ton of tackles. Um, that's already talking about simplifying things because it didn't go well in, in week one. And then, um, you have several key injuries. It was it was uh, it was not great, not a great start. Now that being all said, and and we'll get into this in a little bit. You know, we said going into this, I mean, they were not expected to beat Mississippi State. We said 
from the get-go, the most important game of these first two was the Navy game. And Navy, uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, Navy lost its season opener as well at home to Delaware, an FCS school. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily a great thing for Memphis in the sense that if Memphis beats Navy, well, I don't know how much it proves because ultimately that's a Navy team that just lost to an FCS team. If you can't beat Navy, well, you just lost to a team that just lost to an FCS team. <laughs> so, um, but I do think as bad as it looked against Mississippi State, I think there can be an argument made that it can't get worse and that, that you know, we'll remember that as just a bad start, especially given the schedule coming up after Navy. But it, it shines a big old spotlight um, on this Navy game, uh, you do not want to start the year 0-2, especially given um, some of the narratives that are beginning to take hold once again um, surrounding the program's trajectory, surrounding Ryan Silverfield. Um, he's now 3-7 and seven in his last 10 games as the Memphis head coach. Not good. Um, so a lot of importance placed on this Navy game. Uh, Evan, as we mentioned earlier, you spoke to Bill Wagner of the Capitol. He, he covers Navy better than anyone else. Let's get a sense of what the Tigers are up against when they head to Annapolis this weekend. Let's talk to Bill Wagner. Bill, how you doing today? Doing great, Evan. Good, good. Appreciate you coming on to talk with us. Um, obviously, this game is going to be interesting for both Memphis and Navy coming off of a season opening losses. Um, the mood in Memphis is a little bit shaky after their loss to Mississippi State. What's the mood in, in around Navy after their uh, opening loss to Delaware? Well, we spoke to Coach Kendi Amatololo Monday, and he said the team was down, that uh, they're, they're very shaken by what happened. They, they were surprised. Uh, I think everyone from coaching staff to players was stunned that they did not put on a better performance offensively. The defense played great kept them in the game, but the offense did nothing, Evan. I mean, seven points, uh, less than 200 yards rushing for a triple option team. That's not going to cut it. And Delaware is a football championship subdivision school. Now, granted, it's at the top level of FCS. It's a nationally ranked team that's won national championships in the past. But that said, Delaware should not be coming to Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium and beating the home team. Uh, it just shouldn't happen. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's, it was interesting to me. I was reading your stories, and I was reading some of uh, just the stats from the game. I think what shocked me most was just the, the turnovers, um, you know, the fumbles on, you know, the exchanges and whatnot. That's something that Navy obviously prides itself on. And is that something that kind of surprised you as well, that Navy had so many turnovers? Absolutely, because that is the number one point of emphasis for this offense. Do not turn over the ball. Last year, I think they only had – three turnovers in the last six games of last season. So, and the, what was amazing, Evan, is that the first came on the very first offensive play of the game. Normally, Kenny Amatololo defers if Navy wins the toss. He likes the idea of getting the ball to start the second half. This instance, he was a departure for him. He took the ball, showing great confidence in his offense, and he had said that all offseason, all August training camp, that that a key was Navy wanted to get off to a fast start. So this was his idea, get the offense on the field, drive down and score. Instead, on the very first offensive play of the game, there was a what they call a mesh fumble, the quarterback-fullback exchange. 
between quarterback Ty Lavatai and fullback Anton Hall Jr. leads to a fumble recovered by Delaware deep in Navy territory, and it leads directly to a touchdown. So Delaware takes a 7-0 lead like literally 30 seconds into the game. There would be another mesh fumble uh, later in the game that was lost, and then there Anton Hall Jr., the fullback I mentioned, he got the ball poked out while running up the middle. So three lost fumbles. You just can't have it. Your Navy's not going to win games doing that type of stuff, Evan. For sure. And so I guess for Memphis, obviously, they've, they know how tough Navy is as a place to play. Obviously, they won two years ago in 2020, but 2018, I recall that game, they were ahead and then Navy came back and won that game. So what should Memphis expect going into this game against a Navy team that clearly sounds frustrated, but they're going to have their home crowd behind them to try to rally them a little bit. You know, that, that is a really good question because I, I think the entire Navy fan base and the media that cover the midshipmen do not know what to expect at this point. We were told all off season that Navy had gotten right. They had two tough seasons and Kenya Matalolo basically blamed it on COVID in and that they were not able to have a normal offseason. And he said that what gave him confidence going into this season was that they had finally had a normal offseason, that he was able to prepare this team the way he did 12 previous teams. Um, he was not able to prepare Navy the way that he is, you know, the, by the formula he has developed the last two years. So we were told all was right with Navy football, and then the offense comes out and lays an egg. And so – there's a lot of question marks right now. Number one, and, and another thing we were told, Evan, was that Ty Lavatai, the quarterback, had improved dramatically, that he had a better grasp of the offense, that he was going to be a real leader of the offense, and he was front and center with the offensive struggles. I mean, in, in an option attack, the quarterback gets way too much credit, way too much blame because the ball's in his hands every play. But the truth of the matter is he was involved with two of those mesh fumbles. They partially go on him. and he had another fumble on a, on a poor pitch he made. Now, that rolled out of bounds, and Navy didn't lose possession, but it was still a, a kill to drive because it was like a 10-yard loss, and that was a, clearly a bad mistake by Ty, and he didn't run the ball well. He finished with like 38 yards on 18 carries. Now, granted, he got losses for the two mesh fumbles were credited to him, so those are losses that go on him, and he got the loss for the bad pitch. So that was like, you know, 40 yards of losses. So he actually did gain more than that. But the bottom line is he, he did not really factor in the running game. So Navy's got question marks. And then, of course, the, the fullbacks. They top two players on the depth chart were sophomores, Anton Hall Jr. and Logan Point. And then, you know, both of them were involved with the mesh fumbles. After Hall fumbled the second time is on his own, he, he never saw the field again. He's the starter. And Point didn't play as much. They went to the third stringer, Daba Fafana. He actually ran well on the one touchdown drive that Navy mounted. He was the key ball carrier and had a couple really nice runs. But, uh, yeah, there's a ton of question marks. And, you know, fans are clamoring to know why are the slotbacks not getting the ball more. The, like 75 to 80% of the runs were quarterback keepers or fullback gives. And, that the the fans want to see the slot back pitch. And on the rare occasion they did pitch the slot back, it was a pretty good game. They've got this kid, Mikel Haywood. He was the kickoff returner last year, very dangerous. Averaged something like 32 yards per return on kickoffs, which is, you know, one of the best season averages in Navy history. 
this year he's getting he's a starting slot back and the three times he touched the ball he was dynamic and made some nice plays so fans want to see the slot backs involved more so it's a real question mark nobody knows what navy's going to show against memphis they better play about a thousand times better offensively against memphis than they did against Delaware. they're gonna have no chance yeah, it sounds like as much as people in Memphis are concerned about how they looked after Mississippi State just walloped them, it sounds like Navy definitely has some similar issues as well where fans are going to be worrying about this game a lot more. So, um, Bill, I appreciate your time. I know we're both very busy here trying to get this coverage going, but appreciate you stopping by and talking some football and uh, look forward to seeing you this weekend in Annapolis. Yes, sir, Evan. We'll see you at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Thanks a lot. Our thanks to Bill Wagner of the Capitol uh, for joining us and giving us a breakdown of uh, this Navy football team ahead of a big game. Evan, curious, after speaking with Bill, your thoughts on uh, on what Memphis faces uh, when it heads to Annapolis this weekend? I think for all the problems that Memphis fans are having after that performance on on Saturday, Navy fans are way more uptight and way more upset about how the midshipmen looked against Delaware. I mean, all the fumbles, the lack of scoring, the the lack of sizzle on offense. I think it sounds like, and you heard Bill basically say this, like there is a concern about where they are. And I think Memphis has its own issues, but Navy sounds like they are just kind of still the same team that has been broken since Malcolm Perry graduated after the 2019 season. It sounds like, you know, people want to see Navy be better than this. Like if you're fumbling, you know, the mesh handoff that they do, where it's the quarterback handing it off to the running back, that's a problem. That's something that the basic things that, that Navy isn't able to do. So it sounds like Memphis is literally going to another team that's desperate for a better performance, just like the Tigers are desperate for a better performance. Now, will that help them out? Maybe. Does it? Do you like Memphis's chances to win Navy? Maybe a little bit more, but that still means Memphis better take care of business because it just sounds like Navy seems a lot more out of sorts than the Tigers are. Yeah, now Memphis did open as, I believe, a six, six-and-a-half-point favorite in this yep. game, even yep. though it is on the road. And, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of uneasiness on both fan bases, you know, both, in, you know, in terms of, you know, worrying about the trajectory of the program. Now, that being said, Memphis is coming off a six-and-six six season in which it made a bowl game. Uh, Navy's coming off a four-and-eight year. And, and frankly, coming off an offseason in which Ken DiMatololo said on the record, hey, if like we're not good this year, we've got a problem um, because it's a team that more so than even Memphis facing the realities of what college sports is today because Navy can't take transfers. They mm -hmm. can't give NIL money. Um, mm -hmm. And so you do wonder, one, how can they compete in the new world? And two, I think it's just a it's a it's a symptom of they've been in this league for a while now. And so teams are more comfortable playing against them because they play against them every year now. Um, and part of what their success hinges on is, you know, catching you off guard with that triple option. Um, Memphis has done a, you know, pretty good job uh, during the Ryan Silverfield era playing Navy. They won 10-7 in an ugly game in Annapolis two years ago during the pandemic, um, but obviously did a great job shutting down the triple option then. And then I thought one of their better performances, one of their best performances of the year last year mm -hmm. came against Navy 
at the Liberty Bowl when they won 35-17. Now, that was, you know, defending the triple option in Mike McIntyre's system. And for, you know, I know some people uh, had their issues with Mike McIntyre when he was the defensive coordinator. But one thing he was very good at, um, if you look at it, not just at Memphis, but over his time as a defensive coach, was playing against triple option teams. He always, you know, he knew what, you know, he had a good plan in place. I'm curious, Evan, you have an interesting story going up at commercialappeal.com um, with a new defensive coordinator in Matt Barnes. I- I'm curious, what insight did you glean in terms of how the Tigers are preparing for this Navy offense this year? Um, what's changed? What was interesting to you about how they went about it? Yeah, what, what I found in- interesting in the story was just kind of how early they started to look at Navy. I mean, we always suspect, well, they, they practice against, they practice for Navy, they practice, you know, a little bit here and there. But what I found interesting was, you know, Matt Barnes and Ryan Silverfield both said they started basically in the summer. You know, they started having meetings. They started talking about what to do. Matt Barnes is already talking to his 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 assistants and other position coaches about what Memphis did to Navy last year, kind of how they can use that in his preparation. So really what I found interesting was this is a a month, you know, multiple months looking at Navy, making sure you keep an eye on them while you're preparing for Mississippi State. And I think something else that I thought was was curious was we spoke to to uh, Jalen Allen today, and basically Jalen said, defensive lineman uh, Jalen Allen, he said that they're watching film, they're watching the Memphis Navy games, they're watching Navy film, they're spending a lot of time looking at Navy to be really familiar with them, even as they're preparing for Mississippi State. So that way, when this week comes around, it's not here we are, triple option week, let's go. It's we've prepared, we've taken glances at them, we've, we've looked at them, and now we're just trying to put it all together and polish it up a little bit. So there's a lot of preparation that Memphis took to kind of go into facing this triple option. And it, it speaks to how, you know, like you mentioned, Memphis has found success against Navy the last three years. And even going back to 2017, they were able to, to win that game. So th- whatever is working for them, that formula, they've been able to figure something out, but it's got to translate to being in Annapolis. So we'll see if all the planning that Memphis took to get ready for this game, how it pays off, especially with veterans who have played against this Navy team at least twice now. Yeah. Well, and I think it lends credence to the thought that much like we were all looking at the schedule and going, you got to win this Navy game. Like the Mississippi state game's great, but you got to win the Navy game. Lends credence to, I think the coaching staff was thinking that way too. Like, we got to win this, you know, the Navy game is more important than the Mississippi state game. And I think, um, what you, what you, uh, gleaned from their preparation speaks to that. Um, and, and the truth is, you know, I think there, like I said, there, I think there's reason to be worried after the way they looked, particularly in that first half against Mississippi state. Um, it was bad, but the truth is because of the way the schedule is this year as of right now as of today i suspect memphis is going to be favored in its next four games they're already favored at navy yeah. and i think they'll be favorites at home against arkansas state north texas and um temple temple um and so and if you win those four games like you're right where you know you're right where you kind of hope to be going into that big game against houston at home so um, there is, you know, while it is concerning how they looked, 
And perhaps, you know, it's probably maybe suggests they can't compete, especially with how good, how some of the other teams in the AAC look. Perhaps it suggests, you know, going to the conference championship game is going to be an uphill climb for this group. I also still think they can be okay. Like, you know, on the portion of the podcast that didn't make it through technical difficulties, I predicted an eight and four record. I I'm not, I'm not budging off of that just because they looked terrible against Mississippi state. I still think that's very possible. Um, They're going to have to play a lot better, but if they, you know, can win these games, they're supposed to win this, you know, that Mississippi state performance will become a distant memory real quick. Just like the Mississippi state win last year became a distant memory real quick when things didn't go their way the rest of the season. Um, So it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic playing out here. And as, as Seth Hennigan called it, it's a big moment for the team right off the bat here. It feels like it's a little bit of a gut check. You know, this is a game you should win. It's not a good Navy team. Um, you should win that game, even though it's on the road. And so um, I'll be real interested, interested to see how they respond because here's the truth. Houston got tested by UTSA, but yep. I was impressed. I, I came away more impressed with UTSA than like, Oh, Houston's gettable. And then UCF did nothing to make you think that, you know, they played a a weak FCS team, but there was nothing that they did that made you think uh, they're not going to be good. Um, Cincinnati, though, it lost Arkansas, gave Arkansas all it could handle. So, you know, that they're going to be a threat at the top of the conference again. And then SMU looked really good beating North Texas and um, ECU you know, probably should have gone to overtime with NC State if they had a decent kicker. Um, So that's five teams right there that look like they are going to be, you know, that looked certainly better than Memphis in week one. I'll I'll put it like that. Um, So very, very, very interesting dynamics moving forward for the Tigers, uh, particularly if they can't win this game this week. It just feels like I'm not saying the season's over if you start 0-2. Teams have come back from that before, but it would create quite a bit of, let's say, uh, noise outside, you know, outside Concern. the wall. If Concern. You will, Worry. If you start 0-2 um, and uh, you, you can't, uh, you can't, you don't look good this week because uh, that I think it wasn't that they lost. It was that I think for a lot of people it was that. Man, they just really didn't look good until the game was out of hand. There was never a moment in that game where you went, eh, Memphis has a shot in this one. There was never any moment, whether pre, pre-lightning pre strike, post-lightning strike, you know, set, you know, as the game approached midnight, never was there a moment where you thought <laughs> Memphis had a chance. And, the, the, like, it speaks to where the program is, like, you know, there's very few games like that in recent years where you felt that way uh, about a Memphis football team. And so um, this is a big moment for them to respond uh, and sort of, uh, and write this ship uh, and to not to use a bad Navy pun. <laughs> we'll get all those Navy puns out now because we won't use them for another year, I guess. Unless, unless you decide to bring them back next week, which means what we'll to look at you funny for Arkansas state week, right? All right, we'll wrap it up like this. Your keys to this game. What what needs to happen for Memphis to beat Navy 
Evan. All right, quick hits. I think one. I'd like to see Memphis r- offense look a little bit more efficient. I'd like to see some stronger play from the receivers. Um, I'd like to see them run the ball a little bit better. Seems like Navy's defense did okay against Delaware, but I want to see Memphis try to find ways to get the ball moving on the ground. I want to see this offense look like it did last year against Navy. I want to see them look more comfortable and making plays happen, whether it's small plays or whatever. They have to capitalize on their drives because they're not going to get the ball a lot. So I want to see that. Um, Defensively, I mean, we know, again, it's going to be a funky-looking defense. I want to see them win the turnover battle. Um, One of the takeaways from the defense last week that I liked was they did force two takeaways. I want to see them win the takeaway battle against a Navy team that looks like they're ripe to turn the ball over. Um, I think those are the kind of plays I'd like to see to give me confidence that, hey, they want to win this game in ways that are going to imp- you know, give Memphis fans a little bit more confidence. So an efficient-looking offense, running the ball a little bit better, and creating takeaways on defense. Um, those are going to be the three keys that I look at. Um, what do you think, Mark? Tackling. They had way too many missed. They had so many missed tackles in the, against Mississippi State. Too many. And I think too many. I think if you're not if you're going to tackle like that, it's going to be hard to beat the triple option. Um, I think, uh, and I think offensively, I think they need to find they need to find what they're good at. I mean, I don't think we have a good sense of like what is this team? What can this team call upon in on third and six in a big moment? We have no idea yet. Um, you need, I, I think they really need a playmaker to, or two to emer- emerge in this game. You know, I, I know they've talked about, oh, it's going to be by committee. We're going to throw to like seven or eight guys. Like how often does that approach work? You need, there needs to be someone who you can call upon to go make a play for you. Um, Memphis, all the good Memphis teams of the past decade or whatever it's been since this run have had, you know, whether it's Anthony Miller or Daryl Henderson, or Tony Pollard, or Patrick Taylor, or Kenneth Gainwell, or Calvin Austin, or Sean Dykes. Like, they've had guys who you can just go to to make a play for you in a big moment. Um, Who's going to be that guy for this Memphis team? Is it Brandon Thomas? Is it Jay Ducker? Is it Eddie Lewis? Is it someone else? Um, Do they not have that? In which case, that'd that'd be pretty troublesome. I think this is the type of game where if you're going to win it, you might need that. You need a guy to go make, be able to make a play for you, especially with the type of quarterback Seth Hennigan is. He's not a guy who's going to use his legs to go. You know, it's not like he's immobile, but he's not going to go use his legs to make a play all the time. He's a guy who's at his best when he's able to distribute the football to his playmakers. Um, and I think what was, you know, a little worrisome is. You know, it didn't look like he had many playmakers out there against Mississippi State. Now, how much of that is a reflection of, again, probably one of the best defenses they'll play all year. They just went up against. Um, Will it look different now that they are playing against um, another AAC team? I certainly hope so. Um, I hope so for the program's sake, because, again, 0-2 would create a uh, pretty uncomfortable conversation going into the home opener uh so we shall see evan will be in annapolis uh on the waters of the chesapeake uh chronicling the action for us this weekend um i will be on southern heritage classic duty but i'll be watching as well 
reacting as well. We'll have tons of coverage in the lead up to the game on commercialappeal.com as well as in the immediate aftermath and beyond. Uh, again, over at commercialappeal.com. Till next time, this was Mark. That was Evan. Thanks so much. And uh, hopefully we're talking about a one-on-one football team when we join you next. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of The Commercial Appeal.